Sarah Thomas is on the final leg of a record-breaking four-way English Channel crossing. She can nearly taste the finish. A pace swimmer jumps in to offer encouragement. She's like, you've got about another horse tooth left, so another 10K. Sarah looks at her in disbelief. And I'm thinking, ooh, that's not right. Like, I should not have, you know, three, four hours left in a swim right now. Sarah's already been swimming for over 40 hours, and she can feel the water pulling her left and right. And I start thinking, like, what if the current is going to push me back towards France? She's so close. Did I put all this work in? Am I actually going to make it? I'm Rob Pope, and from Red Bull, this is How to Be Superhuman. In this episode, we're speaking to Sarah Thomas, a marathon swimmer, dual world record holder, and cancer survivor. The last bit of that is particularly poignant for me because my biggest inspiration was my mum. She kicked cancer's ass once, not so much second time round. So it's great to hear an ongoing success story and a resounding one at that. Sarah's CV was already seriously impressive. But then, in 2019, she did something that, in the words of Diana Nyad, ultra-swimming royalty and friend of the show, hit an outrageous new high in both the worlds of open water swimming and extreme endurance. She became the first person ever to swim four lengths of the English Channel non-stop. A feat that took her 54 hours, 130 miles, and countless peanut M&Ms. And to make this achievement even more mind-boggling, Sarah had only recently recovered from breast cancer. Prior to her cancer diagnosis, Sarah was already a star on the marathon swim scene. She was in peak physical condition, ticking off the holy grails one by one. Catalina Channel, Lake Tahoe, the Cook Strait in New Zealand. You name it, she'd swam it. Her love of the water began on long childhood summers at a grandparents' lake house in Oklahoma. And so from a really young age, I was just in the lake all the time. We had our dog and there was this buoy out, I don't know, maybe 500 meters away. And from a young age, I was like begging, can we swim to that buoy? Let's swim out to that buoy. And no one would ever want to come with me because it was too far. And so I do remember, um, I was probably about eight or nine, I finally got the A-OK to swim out to the buoy. And it was like this huge triumphant victory that I like got to swim out, touch the buoy and turn around and come back to the dock. So, so much of my childhood is around wanting to swim as far as I could across bodies of water. When you were like sort of in school, were you successful? Were you good? You know, Texas is a really competitive state for swimming and there were you know, Olympic caliber swimmers that I was growing up with. And so I was always 
you know, third, fourth, fifth, you know, really middle of the pack at some of our high school regional meets and things like that. So nothing really extraordinary as far as pool swimming went. I just loved it. You know, coaches loved having me in the pool because they would tell me to do something and I would happily give it my very best shot. So it was enjoyable from a coaching perspective, but as far as results and competitions, nothing remarkable in any way. So, but you kept on swimming like through college and like, what was it that sort of motivated you there? Was it just the love of the sport? It really was. There was a lot of swimmers on scholarship and we would be up at six in the morning and going for our pre-swim runs and, you know, bright and early swim practices and people would be grumpy, you know, like hating it. They were there just because they had a scholarship and I was there just because I loved it and Getting in the water at six in the morning sounded perfectly fine to me. Kind of put me in a unique situation where I could enjoy the experience, enjoy my teammates, and just keep striving for personal bests rather than winning. I don't remember the last time I won a swimming race, um, which was fine. You know, that's the neat thing about (laughs) swimming is you can really, you know, it's a clock. You're racing the clock. So it's nice when you have competitors next to you in the lane, but at the end of the day, it's the time. So what convinced you to like, you know, try proper endurance swimming? Is is a mile, is that is that the benchmark? Anything above a mile is endurance swimming. Generally, people will say that a 10K in open water is considered a marathon swim. So that's kind of the benchmark for marathon swimming is that 10K distance. So, you know, just over six miles. So when I moved to Denver, I joined a master's team, which is basically a swim team for adults. And I had only ever done pool swimming. I was like in my early 20s, just graduated from college and, you know, never really been outside of the swimming pool. And some of my teammates on this team were training for this 10K open water swim a little bit north of Denver. And they were really encouraging to me, like, Sarah, you you have to try this. You would be so good at it. And it took about a year, year and a half for me to agree to even like give it a shot because it seemed like so mind blowing um, that you would swim a 10K open water. You know, I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I signed up for this race and trained for it and jumped in the water and swam this 10K. And I came out and I was like, this is what I was supposed to be doing. You know, it was just one of those like aha moments of like, I found it. You know, it's like the realization that one mile in the pool was not long enough. You know, when you find your thing, it's just like this huge moment in your life. And I was like, I have to do more of this. Like one time is not enough. I I knew like in that moment that open water swimming was going to fill up my future. Um, And it really has. It's been such a fun ride since that very first 10K. By more, you obviously wanted to do like more events. But at that point, did you realize that more was going to include longer? (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea. 10K seemed crazy enough, long enough. Um, I think it took me about three years of doing that 10K race before I started to like think, okay, you know, this isn't so bad. Maybe I can try something longer. Sarah's appetite for endurance had begun to grow. She dove headfirst into the fabled triple crown of open water swimming. The Catalina Channel in 2010, followed by Manhattan Island the year after. And then, in 2012, the year of the London Olympics, Sarah set her sights on a different part of the UK. Dover and the English Channel. 
It was a stretch of water she'd been studying for a very long time and a challenge that comes with a particular set of rules. You know, historically, when you look back at the very first person to swim the English Channel, um, his name was Captain Matthew Webb. You know, he only wore his swimsuit and some grease, and that was basically it. So those are the basic traditions within English Channel swimming is that you only wear a swimsuit, um, you wear a swim cap and goggles, and maybe some earplugs. And those are the only things that you're really allowed to put on you. So you can't touch anything. No one can touch you. You know, you don't get out and take a rest on the boat when you get tired. It's just continual, constant swimming with, you know, just the power of your body and no, you know, external aids like a wetsuit. So Sarah waited alone at Dover the stony Shakespeare beach, to be precise. It was 7am, yet the sun had risen and was beating down on her. She'd been here earlier in the year with her family and team, but the weather hadn't been so kind that time, forcing her to abandon at the last minute. But here she was for a second attempt, just the guide boat for company. You know, it was just one of those moments of like, I'm here, I'm gonna enjoy it. This was not how I envisioned it. This was not my plan but I'm here now and we're just going to live in this moment and embrace this opportunity that I've been given. The anxiety was gone and I just remember feeling just like overwhelmingly like this is a once in a lifetime experience. I'm just going to enjoy it as long as I enjoy every moment of it. And that was kind of my focus on the entire swim was, you know, I don't care how fast I'm swimming. I don't care how long it takes. All I care about is I'm in the English Channel. And Sarah made it across the Channel. She reached France in 11 hours, 23 minutes. But that was never going to be enough. In July 2013, she became the first person to complete a 70-kilometre two-way crossing of Lake Tahoe. 2015 saw her conquer Loch Ness. And a year later, she swam 130 kilometres across Lake Powell on the Utah-Arizona border. But it wasn't until 2017 that she became the world record holder for the longest unassisted swim across Lake Champlain, nearly 170 kilometres. Sarah really was at the top of her game. It was just like riding on this high from Lake Champlain. You know, I was full of like confidence. You know, I had come to just like love my body and respect what it could do. And I really felt like I could do anything. But life so often has other plans. Not very long after I finished that swim, I found a lump in my right breast and went to the doctor, got it checked out. The doctor said, you know, those words that no one thinks that they're going to hear, especially when you're 35 years old and in great physical shape, that I had cancer. Like your whole world just stops. You're like, this can't be happening to me. I'm fit. I'm healthy. You know, no one in my family has cancer. You know, it just was completely out of the blue and a complete and total shock. How did you feel in your treatment and and how did that affect your swimming? Could you swim? 
My course of treatment was that I did um, basically five months of chemotherapy. Um, I went in just depending on where I was at in therapy, either every other week or um, every week for five months. I had 20 overall treatments. From there, I had a surgery um, for a mastectomy. And then I did radiation therapy. So I kind of got to do a little bit of everything as far as treatment for cancer goes. My doctors were extremely supportive of me swimming as much as possible. Uh, When you first come at them with like, hey, you know, can I swim during chemo? They look at you a little funny because they're worried about your pores and, you know, the interactions that are germs you might pick up from a swimming pool. You know, once we talked through some things, they were super supportive. So during chemo, I was probably swimming, yeah, maybe three to four times a week. You know, I made a point to always go the morning before my chemo session because I knew that was the best I was going to feel for a week. So, you know, every Thursday morning I was at the pool doing a good workout and I am going to chemo with my hair wet and smelling like chlorine from the swimming pool. And the nurses were always like, what did you just do? Um, you know, I don't know that I would have been able to get through chemo with such a positive attitude if I hadn't been able to be in the water as much as I was. Because, you know, when you've got your cap and your goggles and your swimsuit on, no one can tell that you're bald, you know, no one knows that I used to be really fast and now I'm swimming really slow. No one can tell the difference in that. And so it's just those moments in the water between chemo sessions were just like an opportunity to feel like normal again, to feel like myself. And then one day in 2018, she gets an email from a guideboat captain, the one that was with her on her first crossing, a guy called Eddie. And he was asking me, because you know, he's followed me on Facebook, he knows what I'm going through. And he said, kind of hate to ask you, but are you still coming next year? Should we count on you? Sarah suddenly remembered that she'd agreed to swim the channel again. And, you know, I had to take a pause, like, man, I just finished all of this treatment. I feel like the worst I've ever felt in my whole life right now. Am I still going to go swim the English Channel four times? That's right. Sarah hadn't agreed to swim the channel just the once. She'd agreed to swim it four times. The most anyone had ever done was three. Was she really going to be able to do that in just one year's time? You know, we were committed. We were going. You know, there was no doubt in my mind that I could get myself ready in a year. So Sarah set herself the target. In one year's time, she'd arrive in Dover. With the attention of crossing the channel, Not once, but four times. People train their whole lives to attempt one crossing and Sarah's gonna do it four times. That's over 80 miles of sea swimming. We're talking days of zero sleep, unpredictable currents and jellyfish. Her body had been through chemo, radiation therapy, basically a serious trauma. But over the next 12 months, she trained as hard as she ever had, up at the crack of door every morning to swim lengths, and she felt her strength returning with every stroke. On September the 15th, 2019, she stood on Shakespeare Beach once again.
whenever I go into the sea on an English beach, it's all stone and shingle. And I look really, really ungraceful, like sort of, you know, like a deer that's just been born and stuff. And I was really pleased to see that this elite swimmer looked just as ungraceful going into the water. <laughs> uh, my grace is only in the water. So if you put me on land, it's going to be a hot mess no matter what the situation is. But yeah, those rocks going into the sea there, they're painful. They hurt your feet. I was very terrified all week. You know, we were doing training kind of leading up to the swim. Like I'm going to break a toe before I even get in to swim this channel. So yeah, it's, it's challenge. That's probably the worst part of the whole swim. <laughs> How did you feel? Were you nervous? You know, I was really calm by that point, I think. Um, you know, I knew I had done the training. I knew I had done all the work. And my boat captain had assured me that the weather was going to be fine for the duration of the swim. And, you know, at that point, when you're starting a marathon swim, it's no re not really about me at that point. It's about my team. And I had complete faith in my team that they would guide me and take care of me. And my job was just to really follow the boat and move my arms around. So it was really very calm. You know, I was not super nervous at all um, at the start of that swim. She took lap one in her stride, gliding through the water at nearly the exact same pace as her previous crossing in 2012. But as she reached France for the first time, she encountered every swimmer's worst nightmare. So, you know, we're coming in at the end of lap one and I'm like dodging jellyfish, right? You can see them, you know, these like blobby things. So all the way in, you know, I'm swimming around them and then, I don't know, 20 meters into lap number two, there were just swarms of them. And I kind of looked up to see where I was going and a jellyfish just like hit me on the top of my head and I had a swim cap on. so. Obviously, it didn't make an impact on the top of my head, but then it like rolled down my face. So it like tagged me on my nose and then it hit me like real square on my chin. And it was like, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> so, you know, it like kind of throbs for a while. It stings and it burns, but there's like nothing you can do about it, right? You're 10 minutes into lap number two of a four-way and you just kind of have to suck it up and say, hey, better luck next time. Better luck next time. Sarah had been through a lot worse pain than that. And she wasn't going to let a pesky jellyfish derail her. Especially not so early on in the swim. No chance. She kept swimming. But then something else started giving her problems. Right when we got back to England, so I am now finished with lap two, I was like, I felt sick. Um, I, we had some baby food in a pouch and my friend was like, what do you want to eat? And I'm like, oh, let's try some of that, like bananas, the baby food bananas. And so I, you know, I suck it down and then like within seconds it comes back up. This wasn't good. She was at the halfway point. I don't even know how we managed to turn. I remember someone like yelling at me in the dark, like, Sarah, it's time to start swimming again. She was feeling awful. If things didn't improve quickly, she knew she'd be in trouble. And then the vomiting just didn't stop. 
it just kept coming and coming. It's like every time I would stop for a feed, I would throw up again. Hatsia would offer an encouragement, but she was now feeling weak. Weak and alone in the water. There's nothing to look at. You know, you're staring at like this bright light on the boat and that's all that you can see. Negative thoughts were creeping in. She'd have to dig deep. In your head, you're thinking, this is not good. You know, like I've done long swims before. I'm at the 24 hour mark and I feel dead. I was just repeating to myself over and over. I will will swim swim through through this this night. I will swim through this night. And I had that on repeat for hours. I remember telling my crew, like, I'm not tough enough. I don't have what it takes. And they're just encouraging. I don't know how they could be encouraging in that moment, watching me suffer that way and throwing everything up. But, you know, telling me you're still swimming fast. You know, there's other swimmers out here and you're passing other swimmers. You know, you're still looking strong. Your stroke rate's not falling. You know, they're giving me all the right encouragement. And I'm just whining, like, I'm miserable. I'm not having fun. (laughs) You know, and you're thinking about, like, all I have to do is touch this boat and I can climb out on the ladder and they will wrap me up in the sleeping bag and I can go to sleep right now. Uh, And it takes something a little extra to, like, not give in to that temptation of knowing that, like, you can stop at any point. You know, there's nothing keeping you in that water other than yourself. Herself, and perhaps a little bit of external motivation. There were a lot of people ahead of the swim that said they didn't think that I could do it, that it was impossible, that, you know, I'd been too sick. Or, you know, I read something um, from someone like maybe just a couple of hours ahead of time. And he was saying that he was basically a better swimmer and I didn't have a chance. And it made me mad because he doesn't know me. He doesn't know my story. Total stranger on the internet, right? Having a little extra oomph of something to think about and focus on, you know, people saying that I'm not tough enough or whatever, definitely helped pull, pull me through. And so the power of Sarah's mind kept her swimming. Meanwhile, back on the boat, her team were desperately trying to find a solution to her stomach problems. At some point, uh, my husband and one of my friends, they remembered that we had some medication that I had used from my cancer treatments to help with nausea. And so they stuck it in a bottle for me and sent it down just with like inches of water. They dissolved the pill in water for me and they were like, drink it. And so I I drank it and then I threw it all back up like immediately. (laughs) Five minutes later, it came down again. Try it again. Um, You know, don't throw up. You know, they're like yelling at me, stop throwing up. So I managed to keep it down the second time. And then kind of from there, that really helped. The sun came up, the medication started to help, but it was the like six hours from like hour 24 to hour 30 was awful. Yeah, they were never going to let you out the walls, especially when they were thinking, (laughs) oh, it's... It took us five hours to remember we had these potent antiemetics on board. <laughs> She's got to finish now or we'll, or we'll have guilt for all time. I've always imagined like long distance swimmers um, being like these Zen Buddhists, you know, just stroke after stroke. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really refreshing to hear because I'm a bit of a moaner and um, yeah. I'm really glad that, that you were giving it. I bet you weren't doing it half as much as you think you were, but, you know, that's really refreshing <laughs> and reassuring to me yeah. that it's okay yeah. to have a, have a good old moan. 
But um, yeah. how do you start coming back from that? You know, because let's say the vomiting stopped, but you're drained now, you're mm-hmm. dehydrated and you're probably yeah. massively underfueled. So yeah. when did you start feeling that you were on the comeback and you were getting into it again, into the swing of things? By the time like that sickness subsided and I got kind of into that third lap, I was feeling better at that point than I had at the start. And so I remember telling my crew about halfway through lap three, like, no matter what happens, we're going to churn. Like, as long as you guys think that I can keep going, we're going to make this turn. And so when we got to the end of lap three, you know, we're back on these rocks, you know, they're sharp rocks and the currents are crazy. And I swam through the swarm of jellyfish again, right? Um, There was not even any question about whether we were going to continue on. Um, I like my stomach was settled. I remember um, they gave me some oatmeal, uh, just like in a coffee mug. And I was just like shoveling oatmeal into my mouth with my fingers. And that was like the greatest meal I've ever had in my entire life. Because for the first time I wasn't feeling sick and it was hot and it was just like this perfect moment. And I was like, we're turning. Like there's nothing going to stop me from swimming back to England at this point. Like I'm in it for the long haul, no matter what happens. Somehow. Sarah completed lap three. She'd been swimming for around 40 hours at this point, and now she was in uncharted territory. History-making territory. No one had ever attempted a fourth lap before. And Before the swim, um, Eddie, the boat captain, had said, you know, if you make it to France, you make the turn, I can float you back to England like a log. If only it were that easy. But in Sarah's mind, she was now on the home straight, even if that home straight was still a whole length of the channel. It wasn't maybe until like midnight that I kind of had some inkling that something wasn't going right with the currents. Every time she came up for a breath, Sarah was looking around, trying desperately to spot some light she would recognise. A landmark, anything. I remember looking up a couple of times and thinking... This doesn't look right. She kept swimming. It was all she could do. But her mind was beginning to comprehend what was happening. You know, I was expecting to finish the swim, you know, between two and four in the morning. And then all of a sudden I noticed the sun's coming up. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, something has gone terribly wrong. At about the 48-hour mark, my friend Craig jumps in as a pace swimmer. And he was like, hey, you're stuck in a weird current. You have to sprint right now. Sprint? This was supposed to be about endurance. Are you kidding me? Like, it's midnight. I'm 40 hours into this swim and you're telling me that I need to sprint? But Sarah managed to find something from somewhere. And I remember he got out after an hour and I yelled up like, did we do it? Was that good enough? And I kind of got the, yeah, that was good. She was praying that monumental effort had gotten her back on track. Surely it must be over soon. Another pace swimmer jumped in and she's like, you've got about another horse tooth left, so another 10K. And I'm thinking, ooh, that's not right. Like, I should not have, you know, three, four hours left in a swim right now. And I start thinking like, what if the current is gonna push me back towards France? What if I can't get in? You know, what if I can't land? Like, will they let it count if I just like touch the pier? You know, like, you know, you're in these moments and it's like, Did I put all this work in? Am I actually going to make it? Can you actually imagine how that must have felt? 
She's at the end of lap four, about to make history, and the currents just wouldn't let her swim in a straight line. Wouldn't let her bring it home. I had three pace swimmers with me, so now the third one has gotten in with me right at the very end. And he was like, Sarah, the current is changing, the tide is changing, you have to sprint. And so, like, we're in the last hour of the swim. I have, I still have not a real good concept of exactly where we're at. And they're telling me that I have to sprint again. And so, you know, everyone's lined up on the side of the boat. They're all screaming and yelling and cheering. <laughs> I'm swallowing like massive amounts of water because like I can't, I'm not breathing right, you know, and I'm breathing hard. Um, and so and I'm not looking up. When you've done a lot, you know not to look up for sure because it always seems a lot further away than it is. And so I know that we're close and I don't even want, I don't want the false hope of I'm going to make it and I'm not getting close. You know, that I'm just not looking, I'm focused on just like drilling it into shore. And so it just seemed like all of a sudden there's ground underneath me. And I remember crawling out thinking, did this just happen? Like, am I done? You know, after this last hour, you know, this last lap took forever, like looking around and there's like a crowd of people, you know, normally when you finish a marathon swim, there's nobody there. And so there's this crowd greeting me and like throwing towels on me. And I remember just like dazed. I think people have seen videos of me and they're like, you look like you were drunk or, you know, cause I was a little out of it, like not even comprehending exactly what, what had just happened. I would say it was a perfect uh, ending to the swimming. And of course, sort of, well, what was even more perfect was, you know, is, is where you'd come from, you know, in the, in, the, in the previous sort of, you know, 18 months or so. <laughs> you dedicated your swim to all cancer survivors and sufferers. What did that mean to you to be able to do that? You know, when I was going through my treatments, there's a lot of moments in that where you just feel completely helpless and you feel completely hopeless. And it was important for me that other people know my story to know that no matter what dark place you're in, especially for people battling cancer, that there is hope. You know, you can come out of your cancer treatments and be just as good as you were before. That was one of my biggest fears when I was going through treatment is that I wasn't going to be able to do ultra long distance swims anymore. And my doctors couldn't tell me, you know, you, you say, I've got this English channel swim planned. Can I do it? And they can't tell you, they have no idea how you're going to react to treatment. They don't know what impact surgery is going to have on your shoulder and your pec muscles. Doctors are lovely. And I had a great team, but they're not exactly beacons of hope. <laughs> and so in doing this swim, you know, I was really hoping that at least one person would hear my story and it would give them that lift and that hope that, you know, maybe they were suffering right now, but maybe next year they would be able to conquer some of their dreams as well. So inspiring. And if you want more inspiration from Sarah, you can follow her on Instagram at sarahswims04. That's two M's, by the way. And I can tell you, She's taking the plunge in some cold water this winter. 
If you've anything to say about Sarah's story, just tweet us using the hashtag RedBull, how to be superhuman. And also, please send us your own superhuman tales, because we want to hear what you guys have been up to. Remember to follow the podcast, rate us and leave a good review because, well, it helps other people discover the show. We really appreciate it when you share the love. Don't forget that. Finally, if you want more from the series, like articles and pictures, just head to redbull.com slash superhuman. Next time on How To Be Superhuman, it's the boy from a little village in Wales who conquered the Yangtze River. I was delirious, I started to hallucinate, I could almost feel my organs drying up, and at this point I genuinely didn't believe that I could survive.